Hello. Before we get down to cinema, I would like to draw your attention to our Patreon. Regular listeners will know that these podcasts are supported by Quad, our home cinema in Derby, UK. But as Quad is a charity, we want to make Cinelet as self-sustainable as possible. So, to that end, we have set up a two-tier way in which you can support Cinelit. For our 35mm Cinefans, you'll get a bonus additional episode each month where we will be deep diving into an area of cinema that will be exclusive to Patreon subscribers for at least six months before it arrives like a late dinner guest on the regular feed. Plus, you get the episodes a week in advance of the main feed release. But if you want to support us and don't feel that pressing need to have the additional podcast each month, but still want that warm, satisfying feeling of being part of the Cinelit success story then you can become an 8mm Cinefan, where you can donate and get our heartfelt thanks. Head over to the Patreon page and subscribe if you can. However, we know that times are hard at the moment, so please do not feel you need to subscribe if you are not able. We'll still be putting out new, free-to-listen-to episodes on a regular basis throughout the year. Now let's get back to your regular scheduled broadcast. Welcome to Cinelit. Uh, my name is Adam Marsh and thank you for joining us again for part two of our look at the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Let's dive right back into where we were when we finished and when we finished we had Daryl in the boot of a car. Let's see if he gets out. So th- this was a, this was a bit, uh, obviously a well received by critics, considered one of the best of the franchise, big hit, you know, grossed f- nearly 50 million in America. On a, on a $4 million budget. Again, a massive hit, but also well-received and ready to prime onto the next movie, which would which would be, for a long time, the most successful nightmare film at the box office. Uh, nightmare on Street 4. Talking of well-received, Nightmare Part 4, The Dream Master, has a major figure in its corner. Alejandro Jodorowsky <laughs> was promoting Santa Sangre around the time of this film's release, and he was telling everybody that he could, there's this amazing surrealist masterpiece in the cinemas at the moment, A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Master. You must go and see it. So, again, you were talking about the art house qualities of, of the first movie, this is arguably extending across the sequels. And by the time we've got to part four, you've got Alejandro Jodorowsky championing it. And uh, whatever anyone else says about this movie, if Jodorowsky likes it, I'm, I'm there, you know. And uh, I, I, I agree with him. I, I, I think that he's, he's right about this. But I know that you're, you're not a, a, as big a fan of this one. Adam. I'm not. No, I don't, think, I don't think it's a very good movie. But... I think also just just going on to what you're saying about the the sort of like avant-garde elements of Nightmare on Elm Street. I think by this point in in that late 1988, mid 1988, the, the idea of doing this kind of a movie, we're already four films deep in this franchise. It's already become normal. You know, it's it's not it's not strange. It's not weird. It's not avant-garde anymore because. It has been normalised in the same way as you watch pop videos and things like that in the 80s. Some of those early pop videos are just odd. 
avant-garde weird films and then they they they're still they're still avant-garde by by the late 80s but, that, but that's but that the norm the exactly that's the norm yeah, that's the style yeah, yeah. so whilst i get alejandro Jodorowsky saying yes this is it is an avant-garde masterpiece he hasn't watched the other three you know what I mean? He's not followed, he's not gone on that journey. He's been in a, in, a, in a cave for like 15 years. He's missed out on all this. He's just suddenly popped up in 88 gone, what is this movie? This is avant-garde craziness. It's like, yeah, you weren't there for the first three, mate. You know, so on, on one hand, they agree. On the other hand, I think by this point, it's a normal, it's expected to be this kind of a movie. And this one just feels like it hits, it goes through the motions fairly straightforward i can't really remember any of the kills in this movie in the same way as i can for the others and i've watched it a dozen times okay ones the what the water is, is what the water about four or five four and five always seem like kind of their own like a complete thing in a way i think the water bed's four that's a good kill yeah yeah the the water bed is in in part four that's good and and the the uh the giant cockroach the the bit of uh kafka oh, yeah. coming into it you know is uh is is in part four as yeah, well to be fair, some of the effects work in four and five it's really good especially like the, the finale of part four where all the hands are coming out and everything and it was um was it screaming mad george who did the effects on this yes yeah yeah, he he offered, he 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 didn't screaming mad George tended not to get full full gigs because um, Steve Steve Johnson was was the sort of main guy who was married to uh, Linnea, Linnea Quigley, right? Which is why Linnea, Linnea gets a credit on this because she's she plays one of the souls bursting out of uh, Freddie's chest, and I think you can tell which one. So Steve Johnson had the major gig, and um, uh, but Screaming Mad George often got a sign because because he was he he was known in the business as a real extreme effects guy. He quite often got little gigs on 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 shows. You know, rather than being given the full movie, they'd say, "Oh, there's this w- really weird sequence on page seventy five of the script. That's that's one for George, you know." And uh, so yeah, he he'd be given these absolutely outrageous scenes to do that that even even his 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 stuff even manages to stand out from the eighties effects pack because he just goes that that step or two. A little further. But, yeah, the, uh, the finale definitely feels... I don't know if it is him, but it definitely feels like him. If you watch films like Society, it definitely feels like... Oh, yeah, finale, yeah, so. yeah. Um, but yeah, some effects work, and this is pretty decent. Yeah, there's there's a few big names behind the scenes on this one again. We've got uh, uh, Rachel Talalay is involved for the first time, who would go on to direct um, part six, was it? Mm. And uh, and she she's now involved in things like Doctor Who, yeah. you know, in in recent years. I think I think she was a sort of assistant producer or something on this, and starting to make her first steps in the business. Yeah, she works apparently. She works on all four of the first films. In very like, in small roles, working her way up to directing, finally getting her chance to direct a fucking piece of shit Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh yeah, movie. it's terrible. It's um, terrible. Sorry but, to swear. Uh, on that, but but oh, on God. this on this one, she gets a, a big, big, prominent credit, which isn't bad for a woman in the eighties, you know. And uh, I mean, we've got Gail Ann Hurd who produced Bad Dreams. In fact, the, the film I mentioned earlier, Gail Ann Hurd was making making waves in in the business, and one or two others. But of course, you know, the, even today, the business isn't great for women. So for someone to sort of surge through in the way that uh, Rachel did. Is great, and that and the, 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 these franchises, things like the Nightmare series, are good for that. You know, they're 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 good for sort of equal opportunities, 
and, and allowing actors from different backgrounds and, you know, men and women and uh, um, who, who are sort of working behind the scenes to, to, to get a chance to do stuff, you know. We've also got to, one, one of the writers on this, I noticed, was Sir William Coxwinkle. And I, I only know his name from the fact that he wrote the novelization of E.T. Okay. And then here he is five years later on, on Nightmare 4. Yeah, you, so, I, kind of, I kind of think you're overlooking one of the other writers on this film uh, as being a more higher-profile guy, Brian Helgeland, who wrote the screenplay oh, yeah, for LA yeah. Confidential, the Oscar-winning screenplay yes, for... Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 you know. But he, he didn't write a novelisation of a Spielberg movie, no, though. No, so, you're right, he didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, you're you're absolutely right, Adam. The other name that I like in the credits isn't isn't a big name, although she's she's quite big in this film. They bring back the character of Kristen, yeah. Patricia Arquette, but they don't bring bring back Patricia. I'm not sure I, either. She was working on another movie, or or she may have been pregnant. I think and not able to work. But they bring in this actor called Tuesday Night which always makes me think of uh, Dick Miller's character in Joe Dante's Hollywood Boulevard. He, Dick Miller plays an agent, and at one point he, he renames uh, one of his clients January Wednesday. And I always think of January Wednesday when, when I see the name Tuesday night on the, on, on the credits of this one. But uh, And again, I'm, I'm not sure that Tuesday went on to uh, much else after this. But she, she, she does a good job of, of standing in as, as, as Kristen. And again, audiences did, did buy this. I think there was enough distance between the films. And Patricia Arquette wasn't Patricia Arquette when she appeared. In, in Nightmare Three, she was she was just another sort of up and coming starlet. So, uh, um, so audiences hadn't sort of invested in the idea of oh, this is Patricia Arquette's character. We didn't we didn't seem to mind that that somebody else had taken over the role. And she's she's okay. She's all right. You know, you you buy her as as the I same. Think, character. I think what helps is that she's killed off fairly early on in the movie. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, not yeah. she's she's not the central character. I think yeah. that helps. And again, the fact that she is killed off isn't a big deal, you know, it's not It's not like Heather Langenkamp being no. killed off, you know, it's, all oh, right, we, we like that character in part three, but you do sort of expect that they're going to die early on in, in the next one, you know, that's that's sort of the rules of a franchise, is that your, your, your star character gets bumped off pretty quickly. Apart from the Scream franchise, which... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, we, we've not mentioned the director of this year either, Rennie Harlan. Rennie Harlan... Who, who, in the wake of this, became for a while a, a major A-lister, you know, and certainly in terms of action movies. Every big action film that came out seemed to be offered to him first, and, and he said yes to a lot of them. And that was all on the back of this, really. Yeah, he'd done one other film before this, hadn't he? Like, um, he'd done uh, Prison, Prison, that's right, yeah, which got him this gig. Which was a hit for uh, Charles Band. Yeah, uh, it, got him, it got him this gig, and then obviously he went on to do Die Hard 2 which was a, a yeah, big hit yeah. for him. Um, and then he could sort of name his own ticket yeah, after that. He did Cliffhanger, The Long Kiss Goodnight, and, and then did Cutthroat Island and <laughs> barely worked yeah, again. But I think, that's what, I think that's what I don't like about this movie, is it doesn't feel like it's directed by a guy who understands horror. It feels like it's, it, it feels like it's an action de- director directing set pieces. And he's approaching it yeah. like an action set piece rather than a horror set piece. Uh, there's not much atmosphere yeah. for me. Yeah. I think also, I mean, they, they come up with this concept of the dream master this time. And I, 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 two things about that. One, 
I, I can never quite figure out who the dream master or what the dream master is supposed to be. I don't know if you guys are any clearer on that. And two, it's all it's all a little bit Harry Potter. You know, it doesn't it doesn't really fit part four of a, a slasher horror franchise. Well, no, it's also it's one of those things where by this point, Freddy's in some ways the hero. People are coming out to see Freddy and then. Yeah, uh, yeah, and maybe that's that went into the idea of making it less horror-y. I don't know. Yeah, you you just want the set pieces at this point. Then you've got a bit of teen drama and fluff in between. You've got some characters who were strong enough to carry it, but you're not overly attached to. Yeah. So not not to downplay because I don't mind. I, four and five, I think, uh, not necessarily underrated, but they're, they're they're kind of forgotten about sequels. Yeah, I mean, I mean, with four being such a big hit, it was a it was a huge hit, you know, compared to. Yeah, see, I, I was surprised by that because obviously I, I didn't see these when they came out, so I always think of four and five are the ones that kind of people almost forget yeah. about. Kind of people don't like six, one, one to three, and seven are quite well received. Four and five are sort of the middle ones. So yeah, but they they were they were big at the time. All all of the nightmare films were 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 sizable at the yeah. box office, whereas the, the 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 Friday films sort of dipped a little bit, and and as I say, didn't all get cinema release. And um, uh, but the numbers stayed high for for nightmare, and um, and uh, yeah, and I, I I think we we may not like it, but I think the broadening out of the series and and the the you know emphasizing fantasy aspects rather than horror and things like that did did seem to work. You know, it did it did it did help to to maintain the audience and even expand. Yeah. There were people jumping on board at part three and part four. Yeah, I mean, that's what I liked about five more than... That's why I prefer five to four. I think the idea that these movies are no longer... They're, they're no longer movies. <laughs> they're more like a series of, of set pieces. They are pop videos with an interlinking narrative of Freddy killing killing people. Yeah, and a great a great opportunity for makeup men exactly, to show their yeah. stuff. As, as as we've said, you know, you were getting one one guy who who was sort of overall in charge of of, of the makeup effects, but he'd have, he'd have a team of eight or nine people working under him, and they'd all go off and do their own little set piece. So everyone would get like 10 minutes of the movie, you know. You see this in the end credits um where you get somebody like Steve Johnson as the the, the sort of puppet master, you know, and then you've got all these other sort of budding talents who are given a chance to have a go. Oh yeah, you've got to turn someone into a giant cockroach, do it, you know, and 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 then they stitch everything together and you've got a nightmare sequel. Yeah, exactly. And I think that really shows in part five. Yeah, yeah part yeah. five definitely feels it feels it feels like there's much more style to the way it's filmed. I don't know whether it's just Stephen Hopkins being a more sympathetic director in five than many yeah. Harlan, you know, just filming everything the same. Yeah. Another, di- another director who went on to, to massive acclaim and success later on, you know, became a big Hollywood name for five minutes, like Rennie Harlan yeah. did. And no, nobody remembers who either of them are yeah. now, but uh, both huge for a few years. Yeah. yeah. There, there are some great visuals in five though, in regards to being a, a more interestingly shot film. I mean, you've got the whole, the, the whole MC Escher thing towards yeah. the end with the staircase is really good. Um, you got the comic book sequence as well. Oh, or something. It yeah, almost looks, yeah. looks like the music video of the Aha yeah. one where he goes in and then Fred is like, he's super Freddy and that, that's a great kill. Yeah, you got you, you, you have distinctive, distinctive set pieces in this one, that I think. Yeah. So that set for me, for me, elevates it above part four. But I guess, I guess appetite was just waning 
for it for it by this point you know we got like released a year after part four and maybe it was just audience sort of a bit like yeah well you know I'm, I'm a bit done with that now yeah yeah and it harks back to the the lore of the series as well because in part three there's this tantalizing mention there's this sort of spectral nun character who keeps appearing to Craig Watson and I think would have been better left us not really finding out too much about them. But and, and there is this mention that oh Fred Freddy's the bastard son of a hundred maniacs, you know. And then then they go and, and show show all of that here, you know, and we 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 get Freddy's origin or his his sort of conception sequence, you know. And it all gets a bit uh, we 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 covered the Hammer Frankenstein films last year and um uh this seems almost identical to scenes in uh, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell from 1972. Uh you've got all these sort of dueling uh psychos in in um sort of hospital gowns sort of wandering around stumbling and bumping into each other you know and uh, and then this this young nun gets gets trapped in with them and the result is freddy krueger so uh, uh but I, I i don't think we need to see all of that and and uh, i i think i think that's best left it was it was covered in part three craig watson was told all about it by the ghostly nun and and then they they show it. It would have been better left as a sort of subtle element of part three, rather than becoming a big set piece in this movie. Yeah, I mean, we get to the point where like, we, we, you're running on empty <laughs> a little bit. Um, we've made this movie about Alice's story, and we've had the Dream Master. Now we've got the the Freddy killing through the child, the unborn child in this movie. So it's like you do feel like you're running on empty on the com- the com- the central concept. Of what a nightmare film is, is we've we've, we've kind of explored everything um, in this movie um, by by this movie by by this movie's release. Um, and audiences felt that way as well. I think it, it significantly dipped um, box office wise yeah. on the others. Um, and when 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 you're at that point, there's there's really only one way to go, and that's 3D. Well, well, not not quite. Not quite. There's, there's one step before that. There's going to TV. Well, yes. So, yeah. exactly. We had Freddy's Nightmares debut. Freddy's Nightmares. The same year in that October, we had the launch of that, which is a, basically a, a forgettable <laughs> a forgettable horror anthology show. Um, but yeah. it does have an interesting first episode uh, directed by Toby Hooper. Um, yeah, to- Toby Hooper was dying. He, he was sort of the go-to guy for pilot shows. He, he was he was doing everything for a few years. If you had a new sort of science fiction or horror TV show, his name's often on the credits of the pilot. Yeah. And uh, and here here he was. Um, so another massive massive horror name getting involved in in the in the Freddy franchise. Yeah. So like Freddy Freddy in this series doesn't really appear. He is like a crypt keeper kind of character. Apart from the first episode by Toby Hooper, where it does follow the the origins of, of Freddy Krueger, how he before he died, yeah. how he was um, uh, killed by the parents of the Elm Street kids. Again, is this another example of we didn't really need to see this? I, I guess so. Although I'd 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 rather see this than than seeing the the the, the nun in the asylum. You know, I I'd I'd like that to just remain a a, a a spooky story sort of thing. You know, and and leave the the birth of Freddie as a bit of a um, you know a bit of a mystery. 
but yeah, I I don't mind seeing Freddie's backstory dramatised like this because England's a good enough actor to do that. I'm I'm glad he gets a chance to do stuff out of makeup and um and, and that we get to see a little bit of what Freddie was like as a person. What do you reckon? Have you seen this one? Happen? Have you seen No More Mr Nice Guy? I, I I've, I've seen I've seen the first episode because that was included on like one of the, the DVDs. I've, I don't think I've ever seen any of the rest of the series. I got to be honest. Yeah, they're, they're a mixed bag, but uh, it, I don't think there's a tasteful way you could have done Freddie's backstory as a full film. No, because it would it's just him murdering children, and that wouldn't be particularly entertaining. Whereas at least it's a bit more condensed. Yeah. And, and it's a, it's a good fit for Hooper as well. You you can't imagine imagine Toby Hooper directing a Nightmare on Elm Street film, can you? You know he's 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 not he's not good with 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 that type of fantasy. I don't think, and that type of he's he's not good with with the sort of dream imagery and things like that. But with the the sort of harder story of of uh, delving into Freddie's background, I think he's he's the man. He's 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 the guy for the job. Well, we uh, that 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 was a, a blip, I guess. But then we have three years between 1988 and Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare uh, being released in 1991. Now, what's the rule about a, a film in a franchise having the word "final" in the title? Well, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's never the final one. But there you go. But that's that's the thing. Right. But equally, on the poster, they make the claim they've saved the best for last. Yeah, and again, false advertising, guys. Unbelievably false advertising. Like, literally, <laughs> like, I, I would sue if, if, if that was guaranteed. I'd be like, that is a misrepresentation. You've not saved the best to last. You've yeah. done a dog turd on the screen. Yeah, I think I think we're all delighted to see female directors getting getting big Hollywood gigs. We're pleased as as nightmare fans to see Rachel mm. Talalay sort of working her way up the ladder and getting the the, the director's gig. But oh, what a disaster! What a disaster! I, I I programmed this as part of Dead and Breakfast a few years ago, and I, I in my head I remembered it being bad and but thinking, well, it's got the three D element. It's got Freddy Vision. Three quarters of the way movie, you got twenty minute sequence in three D, classic, you know, red and blue glasses, three yeah. D. That'll be fun, you know. That'll be fun. <laughs> we'll have that. Well, everyone puts on the three D glasses and they're a bit of fun at three in the morning. I, I have never seen an audience turn on me so quickly after that screening. They 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 were angry. They were ready for blood after watching that movie, and 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 so was I. So was I. It's even worse. It's even worse than I remember that movie. But again, we've got we've got big names in this one. A, a lot of, a lot of dodgy cameos though this time, rather than proper acting roles. The only major name in in the proper cast is uh, Yefet Koto, mm-hmm. I think, who who is is rubbish. I I, I is one one of my favourite actors of of that generation. I don't think it's a bad performance. He's just given nothing to do. Well, the, 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 it's an awful movie, Daryl. It's an awful movie. Yeah, nobody yeah, yeah, can shine yeah. in this movie. He, he just plays one of the guys sitting at his desk in an office telling the kids what to do, you know, and, and you, you don't want an actor of that quality doing that, you know. And, and then the, the, the cameos are largely embarrassing. We, we get Johnny Depp back again. Uh, we get Alice Cooper. We get to Roseanne Barr and Tom Arnold, for God's sake. I mean, we, we, we didn't mention the great cameo earlier on in part three of uh, Zaza Gabor. Yeah. That's that's how to do a cameo in in these films, you know. And uh, 
but yeah, this this all seems a little bit desperate. And um, I mean, the, the the title of the film is obviously a bit of a riff on on the Curtis Mayfield uh, funk classic. But uh, but you you could also say that it's it's is it playing on on the notion? You know, we've got Freddie's dead in the title. Is is that a sort of slight expansion of Freddie's dad? Because we get Alice Cooper here playing um, a sort of surrogate like stepdad type figure for Freddie and and again it's uh, I, I I love Alice but uh, I like seeing him in films but this is is just embarrassing he was, he was the first connected link between um this and um Friday as well because he did which Friday the 13th film is he did the song for he yeah was it, uh, the was it part eight I think uh, eight, like and the then he yeah, played yeah, Freddie's dad yeah, for that so yeah so so yeah this this was is the first tentative link between the two yeah which which was to develop later on yeah you're stretching yeah. you're stretching yeah but what what about this 3d sequence though again terrible oh, just they do they do nothing with it's it. all it's an awful awful movie yeah I, I don't know what else i can say about it. it's just really bad movie and i don't know whether it's uh, some movies like, like i can understand what people call four and five bad movies because yeah. it feels like they're running on empty, they're doing, but 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 they are trying to do the best with what they've got. This one feels like it's badly cast. It feels like it's badly directed. It feels like everything is like bad in this movie, rather than low budget or or, or just running on empty style. There are two tiny little moments in the film that I love, but even even they are guilty pleasure. And even even then, if someone said to me, "Oh, they're terrible as well," I'd, I'd sort of have to agree. And there are there are two little fourth wall breaks by Robert England as Freddie. Um, there's one where he's creeping up on someone from behind. He's creeping up on this kid who it's 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 the, the guy who's hearing. He's he's just taken away, and he's creeping up behind him. And then he does, he, he turns to us, he turns directly to camera and puts his finger over his mouth as though to say, shh. And then, then there's a bit where um, someone's plummeting out of the sky. Uh, Freddie's cut the strings of their parachute. Uh, and we think they're going to fall to the ground and splatter on the ground. And what happens instead is that Freddie appears from nowhere and, and hauls on this, this bed of nails and just gives a little glance, glance to camera and uh, I, I, I love those moments. I wish Robert England had been given more oh, of that sort Darryl, of stuff to do. Daryl, 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 stop it. But, that, that's like Wiley Coyote, though. It's not, it's not Freddy. But you're, you're saying that like it's... It's a not a bad thing, thing for Wiley Coyote to do it. <laughs> it's not a bad thing for Jerry in Tom and Jerry Coyote, yeah. but it's a bad thing yeah. for... for for Freddie to do it, they, 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 the yeah. tone of this as, movie as is mis. As I said, ex- accepted, accepted. Yeah, yeah. Let- I, I, I like those little moments, but I, I'm happy to admit that yeah, they're terrible as well. Let's let's move on because whilst this is terrible, we do get another for uh, uh, what what ended up being, I guess, the final word at the, t- at the time we had freddie versus jason after that but the final word on the core franchise films with wes craven's new nightmare which yeah is a very important film both in the friday f- series and also as a kickstart for the screen franchise which would later become a big part of horror before cinema. we get before we get on to new nightmare adam adam raised the point earlier that we're starting to get these little nudges towards freddie meeting up with jason and of course there's another one at the end of uh, friday the 13th uh 
Part Nine, the final oh. Friday, another final movie that was another bloody awful movie. It's the worst one oh, in the franchise. Yeah, yeah. Worse than Nightmare Six. I'd say. It, it messes up the Jason Voorhees franchise and character in in ways that that nightmare could only have dreamed of you know but to, but then it does introduce the notion of freddy in jason's world right at the very end so uh yeah yeah have we got anything any more to say about oh. that before we move on to the big i one? think it is i mean it was it was the concept of crossing over franchises was starting to become a big a bigger thing in those things those, that, that period obviously we had it with all the universal films back in the 30s and 40s but it was like i think one of the big ones was aliens versus predator on yeah, the comics the became for like the early yeah well. it was that that became a big thing and i think the idea of crossing over people suddenly became well we can do it actually let's let's do it and never really quite came off initially and then we had to wait a good few years before we got freddie versus jason but in between that we had this um where's craven's final word on nightmare which is a, a contender for best of, of the series we, we we showed it at Fright Club. Yes, it, it still goes down well with an audience today, possibly even more so because I think people are more used to this sort of meta stuff now. And without New Nightmare, there might be no Scream, and there might be a whole lot of films that wouldn't have happened. It's just it's just such a great idea. Yeah, I mean, it could have been filmed better. It had that nineties over over lit style movie. It, it did quite. It looked a bit too TV for me. But it's such a strong script all the way through that like it just just grabs you and draws you back into that world so successfully. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that they even went back and did another movie after this is remarkable, really. Yeah, yeah. And here, here we are. We've we've talked about Freddy coming into the real world. Here, here's here's a, a, an entire movie that is all about its real world setting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They they go for it with this one. They say, right, we're we, we're going to have everybody playing themselves. Where's this going to be in it? We'll get Heather back. We'll get uh, John Saxon back. We'll get Robert England playing Robert England instead of playing Freddie. And we're going to set this in reality. And what, what a way to go. How successful it was. Um, absolutely right. Um, and kicks off with that great opening scene as well, where... where is it fantasy? Is it real? The, the 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 special effects glove coming to life and 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 managing to maul someone, and and you can sort of explain that away as oh it's a it's an electric malfunction you know or is it and and the film really plays on that then I think the whole mythology of Freddy is given extra layers here. That's the great thing about it. He's been this figure that appears in your dreams. Now suddenly. It's all about, it's Wes Craven having a go at bad sequels and yeah. saying there's an evil that is responsible for bad movie sequels. <laughs> and it's such a great concept. It's, it's, it's such an insider thing as well. It's such a, 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 a Hollywood thing. But I think audiences know what it's all about and they buy it. Audiences at this point know enough about how Hollywood works. And they, well, we've all, we've all paid five quid to see a terrible film time and time and time again, whether it's got Nightmare or Friday or whatever else in the title. We've seen so many bad movies that we're, we're so pleased to see a film that is about that, that is having a go at them and is saying, why do sequels have to be bad, you know? Yeah. And what, what, what do we have to do to stop them being bad? It does draw from elements of those sequels in 
in, in making this movie it's not just it's not just where's going oh they're all bad i'm gonna i'm gonna do my own thing but the idea of a sort of like evil entity that is lording over your dreams and your evil nightmares and, and is using freddy as the most current face of evil that's not that million miles away from what we were talking about in the dream master and um and, and dream child so it's like it's not a million miles away he's not reinventing the wheel with it but it's just done so well yeah where's where's is in a good position with this film because he can come in and again pretend to be the savior of, of the whole franchise which i think i think he was with this yeah. but he can then cherry pick all the good bits from all the bad movies and 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 feed them into what he's doing yeah it wasn't it wasn't a hit though didn't didn't revise the franchise in, in a sense of like we're going to kickstart another five six movies. It um it was it, good reviews, but I just think I think that at that point people had had enough of Freddy. Yeah, and what and was 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 the cleverness cleverness of this two years too early as well? No, I, I it did with Scream, but possibly. But I think I think it, Scream felt like you was coming in on the ground floor. Yeah. Whereas Freddy Seven, <laughs> even though even, even rebadging it, Wes Craven's new nightmare, it's Freddy Seven to yeah. most oh, people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we we can debate about what the best part six in film history is. I, I think it's for me, it's between Jason Lives and Rocky Balboa. But uh, but is there any argument about the best ever part seven in movies? I I don't think this has got a rival. I'm not, I'm not sure of other part sevens, but uh, <laughs> I'd ha- I have to get back to you on that. Throwing that onto you without you being able to research it, so it's exactly, a bit yeah. There, but, but I know yeah, it's better I, than Hellraiser Seven, so you know there's that. Whatever the second best part Seven is, it's going to be way, way, way below this. <laughs> yeah, so so we get we got all this reinvention of thing. It it works critically, and maybe um, legacy wise, people go back and watch these movies and go, actually, Seven is the one. It's like one, three, seven. They're the they're the yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah, you know, Adam, we uh, we we picked this for Fright Club. Uh, in fact, it was our revival film when we brought it. Was in September. Back, yes. Why, why, why did you decide to go with this one? It's a new Fright Club. It's a new nightmare. It was a clever little tie-in, and it's, it's one we hadn't screened before. And I think it, it is quite a modern take on an older franchise. Obviously, this was like '94 came out, and yeah, yeah. at this point, Freddy is somewhat of a product of an of another era. As much as we love him, but it is something from like a decade before. But I think the tropes and this this meta style of, of horror is quite modern. Obviously, Scream Kickstarter, but films since then have done it quite a bit. So I think it's a great middle ground of a modern style of horror filmmaking with with an old classic. And on on top of everything, taking a you know taking away any kind of argument about its its validity, anything like that, it it, it is just really really good. It's enjoyable and it's it's such a tight screenplay and everything is and I I just throw it in I love that sequence where the film catches up with itself and they go over to um, Wes's computer and it's it's the screenplay and it just oh, yeah. finishes on the line and that's my my favorite bit of the whole film is just that one little bit seems like such an obvious kind of gag but it's yeah it's it great. works it's an interesting way it's interesting way in people's memories obviously it, it wasn't a big hit but because there was so little horror films being released into cinemas in the in the in the early nineties to mid nineties prior to screen kickstarting um, the, the slasher thing again in the late nineties, every single film you saw in the cinema in that period that was a horror film stands out because there was so few of them. Yeah, yeah. So this one, so even though it wasn't that popular relatively, 
it stands out for people because I saw that in the cinema and it was like, oh my God, you know, there was nothing else. It became the horror film of the year. Yeah, hard, hard to believe now, but yeah, there was this barren period where where horror just wasn't getting released theatrically, and uh, um, Wes Craven's always been rather fortunate on on that score. His films have always tended to get at least some kind of minor release. I, I can't think of any that that went straight to video. Even even My Soul to Take, which was terrible, played in some places. Even in three D, I think in, in in some places. Did Cursed get a release? I don't think Cursed got a release, did it? Um, I can't remember. I did. I I got a feeling I saw Cursed in the cinema. Okay. I think so. I think so. You, were, were you the only one? Probably. I was for a lot of these <laughs> films. But so yeah, Wes Wes has always managed to do well in getting his films released where where other people couldn't. And um, if if there were one or two that didn't make it, you know, he, he he's got a better track record than than pretty much all of his contemporaries. Yeah, me, the Scream franchise helped that with that massively. I think he had, oh, yeah, yeah. He, you know, considering he, he directed films in the 70s that were big hits, he directed the Nightmare film in 1984, that was a big hit, and then he did Scream in the 90s. He he, he kind yeah. of like... Well, as, as we said on the Scream podcast, he's, he's probably, even though he's not my favourite director of that generation... By a long way, I think there are three or four are, are, are better filmmakers, but he's the one who kept kickstarting horror, who kept taking a chance and saying, This is the direction that I see the genre going in. And then everybody did follow. Mm. And A New Nightmare is one of those films that does that. Even, even though it may not have been a direct influence, I think it's safe to say that Scream might not have happened without it, or certainly wouldn't have happened with Wes and wouldn't have quite had the resonance it did may not have taken off and so if you're saying without new nightmare there'd be no scream you can see the importance of it you know yeah. and, and and i, th- I think even beyond beyond its in, di- immediate influence on scream I, I think meta horror has has become a thing in the last 25 years anyway and that all stems back to this film yeah, no, absolutely. So we 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 get this movie, and then they they throw it out the window. They go, ah, oh, fuck that shit. We're going to move on to the next one. Yeah, well, and scream screams the scream franchise has then happened, and yeah. Wes Wes is busy doing that. So no no one's interested in Freddy anymore. No, yeah. but but they come back, and we get Freddy versus Jason in two thousand two thousand three. 2003. Although it was being, again, like the original Nightmare, it was being talked about for years and years and years, even even before it happened in uh, Friday Part 9, you know. um, uh, You're going back to the late 80s and people saying, oh, could could we see Jason v. Freddy, you know. And so, yeah, probably out of about a um, 15-year period of, of gestation. And finally we got it. Another another big name director, Ronnie Yu. Yeah, what do you think? What do you think kickstarted this film? Why why do you think they ended up making it? Because there must have been a reason why they didn't make it. Um, and obviously it was like, you know, maybe box office potential, it's not gonna do well. And it can't have been, I don't know, what what made it suddenly attractive from a box office point of view. I mean, speaking, speaking from my perspective, this was the first time, I mean, like I said, I was too young to see this in cinemas, but this was first kind of Freddy film that was actually new when I was old enough to be conscious of these. I was like 12, 13 at the time and I'd seen the older ones on tape, but this was exciting because it was like, there's a new Freddy film coming out. So I'm guessing people of that age 
it's exciting because it's new. It's you know, in the same effect Star Wars had or something like that. It's like it's been a decade, but Freddy's back. And those kind of slasher films were quite I don't want to call them say slasher films were popular at the time, but that modern era of horror had just kicked off and you were starting to get bigger budget horror films getting cinema releases, I suppose. So all the things, you know, all the elements were right for this to do quite well. And had a great marketing campaign from what I remember as well. Like the way they used to really weigh them in in Vegas. They had like Freddie in one corner and Jason was the heavyweight yeah, and they yeah. weighed him on the scales and everything. And they did like gimmicky things like that. Gimmicky type thing, yeah. 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 I, I think you're right on that, Adam, because uh, I would have been in my early 40s when this came out. And obviously I went to see it because I'd, I'd seen all the Freddie and Jason movies. And I, I was probably the oldest person in the cinema I, I definitely remember feeling that this this film isn't for me. All this film is for all the people around me. It's not for me. It, it was. It was like it was like a, 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 a horror film with these established characters that was aimed at a new audience. It, I, I, I think you've absolutely hit it with that. Was, do you think that was just a, just a time though, Daryl? It was just like, well, this is the way we're making movies now, and. In, in the same way as the Friday films developed as they went along, in the same way as the original Nightmare films changed as they went along, this is just a, an evolution of that. I, I, I think there's more to it than that, Adam. I think it genuinely was pitched at a new audience, it, and, to, and it was designed to sort of almost alienate the old fans in a way, because Freddie and Jason in, in, in this film aren't the Freddie and Jason of old. You know, they're 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 not. They're not doing the stuff that Freddie and Jason did in their, their, their classic movies, you know. Or if they are, it's in a watered-down, audience-friendly way. It's not aimed at the horror fans that were watching Friday the 13th in 1980. It's not that type of movie. Um, it's, it's a crowd-pleaser. And I don't think that that's been the case in either franchise previously. I don't think they've... they've the, the films have been made to scare and to shock. They've not been made as fun, you know, and this this was. This this was a sort of fun time at the movies. I, I, the, I probably, I actually don't, I, I disagree with that. I think the Freddy films from three onwards were designed to be fun roller coaster horror rides with Freddy. In part, maybe, but I think there's always elements of them that you you, you never lose sight of the fact of, of what Freddie is, you know, and what he represents. And I think that's always, that's, that's, a, that's a consequence of the first movie, you know, but it's always there, it's always been there. And that, that sort of isn't in this film, you know, it's the, the, the idea of, of, of the, the sort of predatory uh, figure who, who, who goes after kids, you know, is, isn't sort of played on so much in this film because he's now got Jason as a focus, you know, he's, he's now got a new, a new target. He's not going after the kids and he's not going after the teenagers anymore. He's going up against a, a worthy opponent, if you like. It is, it is that boxing sort of metaphor again, you know. Yeah, it, it is Freddy yeah, versus Jason. And, so and the, film, the film is pitched like that. So this, this was markedly different, I think, even to the, the later uh, Nightmare sequels. I guess um, this was pushed to be like you pick you pick a side, your your team Freddy or your team Jason, you're gonna root for a villain. Yeah. The end the ending's rather clever as well, because they do they do give us a winner and then then um sort of make it ambiguous as well, which is which is very, very cleverly done, I think. You mentioned the director Ronnie Yu previously. Now he'd already sort of like 
kicked a franchise up the arse with Bride of Chucky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and he was he was he was big over here previ- prior to that for um his two uh, Bride with White Hair films, mm-hmm. which were massive on the uh, on on the sort of Asian film circuit, which was a big, big thing in the sort of early to mid-90s. Very, very substantial, and, and a lot of the you know, quite a few of the films were getting released on video over here a lot of the hong kong stuff some of them were making it to cinemas you know even even if it wasn't sort of special sort of cult shows and things but uh, but the, the the hong kong cinema of that period was big news and ronnie ronnie Yu was a name that was sort of known you know he like like um uh, people like ringo lam and troy hark um were, was was starting to make a name. John Woo was was the big one, of course. Uh, but Ronnie Yu was a sort of known quantity to to uh, world cinema audiences, and he got the he got the um, the Chucky gig on 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 the back of his success in Hong Kong. And as you say, just just went to town with that. You know, just just made the great Chucky movie. Um, and I, I think his success with Bride of Chucky led to him him getting the um the, the freddy versus jason because a lot of directors have been attached to this over the years and had come and gone and um including probably some of the names that we've mentioned already i bet people like stephen hopkins and rennie harlan were in the frame at the time well this and, movie de- this movie definitely definitely is it's ronnie you in action mode more yeah. than ronnie you in horror mode for brighter chucky it's it def- is, it's, this it's, is an action film yeah, he he makes this a Ronnie Yu film very definitely, which which he didn't manage to with the Chucky. He made, he made a really really good Chucky film with with Bride of Chucky. And what he's done here is he's made this film his own. Yeah, I mean th- this movie. This, uh, I I remember watching this and thinking that was a great action film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and whether that's what people wanted at the time, I mean, it was a bit. It's still one of the most successful uh, Jason films or uh, yeah. Friday films. Would you agree that I, th- I think the, the the scenes that people remember from this are the Jason and Freddy mano a mano scenes, mm. rather rather than the, the kids being killed scenes? That's what people were turning up for, though. They they had to have something else to push it along. They needed a narrative to kind of drive things, but you wanted you wanted to see Freddy and Jason yeah. fight. So it is it is as Adam said earlier. It's it's Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, basically, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. And, and it wasn't a bad film, I don't think. I, I, really, I really like Freddy vs. Jason. It's it not fun, the best, yeah. but I think it's tons of fun. I think it's fairly well made. It's definitely got that early 2000s gloss, which, not in a bad way, but dates it a little bit. And some of the soundtrack does as well, and kind of some of the cameos. Um, but I, I really like Freddy vs. Freddy Jason. I think it's a lot of fun. It is one of those films that I, I remember watching it and thinking, it's a lot of fun, but it doesn't quite work. And I think having the two villains is, 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 I'm a big wrestling fan, and it's having a heel versus a heel, it's a bad guy versus a bad guy, doesn't quite work. You haven't got, even though they're trying to create, artificially create this Team Jason, Team Freddy, you don't really root for any of them. You know, because ultimately they're both horrible people who are killing people. So you don't root for either of them, really. They are, but I think at this point they have, not necessarily as heroes, but well, almost in a way that they, they, they are. People people weren't buying kind of merchandise and action figures of, of Nancy and John Saxon. Whatever. People well, wanted Freddie Glove and they wanted the machete and the mask and everything. They wanted well, to be right. horrible people. I, 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 love, I love the idea of a John Saxon lunchbox or... Yeah. 
or something. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd love one of those, but uh, I'd, I'd prefer a Freddy one. But uh, yeah, I think I they, they were. You're right, they weren't. But when you're watching a movie, you need that access character. You need the character that you're going to root for against these people. And I don't think any of the teens in this, any of the the, the 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 humans in this movie, were memorable enough to take that lead. And then. Uh, no matter what, you're going to get overshadowed by Freddie and Jason in, in a single movie with both of them in the movie. You've got no chance. Um, the, the reported sequel for this was going to be Freddie versus Jason versus Ash from the Evil Dead franchise. Now, that I can see working. I can see identifiable hero. Yeah, you, you, yeah. You, there's a guy you'd be rooting for there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you don't get the hero in horror movies very often. Like in the same way as you do in the in, in the Evil Dead franchise, where he's one of the only horror heroes in that respect, and I think that would have worked. And I think it's a little unbalanced at the minute for this one for me. Um, you you watch it, you enjoy. It, but there's nothing like you think. No, okay. <laughs> the satisfaction of seeing Jason win or Freddy win was fine, but you wouldn't have really mattered if the other one won. No, no, and and then they sort of play around with that anyway. Yeah, so it yeah, doesn't yeah. matter in, at the end, at the, right at the very end, it doesn't matter. So uh, you know the the big question, and and then they sort of bottle out of it. Although they do it clever, but yeah, at, at its heart, it is it is just Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, and yeah. and with with all of the positives and all of the negatives of that. And I'm glad that Frankenstein meets the Wolfman is a movie, and I'm very glad that Freddy versus Jason's a movie. I'm I'm pleased they're out there, you know. Okay. But they're, they're, they're not going to be the ones you grab off the shelves, are they? No. It does lead after that to, to the reboots then, I guess. Uh, the, the, the terrible reboot of 2011 period. Well, this is Mike, Michael Bay's Platinum Dunes who were doing this at the time, weren't they? they yeah. he, Bay was just buying up every horror franchise title he could and, and doing what were supposed to be remakes but turned into more like they, they tended to be sort of remakes of bits of the first three sequels or something you know with a bit tacked on the end none of yeah. them were any good and uh he's, he's improved a lot since on, on going on you know since then we've had things like the ouija films and the purge films and so on and i think doing original stuff platinum dunes have been great but uh mm. I've, I've, I've i've not been keen on any of their their sort of i think it's because i've got so much love and respect for all of the originals that he remade. Um, I, 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 didn't, didn't, I didn't mind the Friday. I didn't mind the Friday remake. I thought the Friday that's, remake that's, was... That's okay. The thing with the Friday remake is you can think of Friday the 13th franchise entries that aren't as good as that. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe, maybe part nine is 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 not as good as, as the remake. Part seven is probably not as good. There's less characterization with that as well. I mean, Jason is a big guy in a hockey mask. Yeah, Whereas yeah. Robert England, like we discussed earlier, really carries the nightmare films. So, but 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 as I, as I said, Jackie Earl Haley getting the role was good news. I thought at the time, I thought, oh yeah, if if they if they've absolutely absolutely got to do this, at least they they've had the sense to cast the right guy, and and then as it turned out, he he was he, if he if he was disappointing in the part. It's just because he didn't. I, I think people went into that seeing him being cast and thinking, "Yeah, that this could work," you know. And then it didn't quite work. He, he's he's okay in the film, but people wanted him to be more than that. I think people went in thinking 
yeah, they've they've got Freddie right. They've they've picked they've picked the only other actor in the world that might be able to play this character. They've gone for the right guy, and then it it just turned into Platinum Dunes slot, really. So they cast it quite well. I mean, like in the same way as the original Friday uh, Freddie films, they they originally cast quite well, and then the people they were cast were went on to become players in Hollywood TV. Yeah, because we've got uh, got Rooney Mara in this. We've got Rooney well. Mara is probably the the, the 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 higher profile, but even like Kyle Goldner who was absolutely exceptional in a film called uh, Dinner in America last year. Before. Yeah. Um he he's one definitely one to watch, still one to watch. He's been around for a few years now, but he was he was great in that film. But he's really caught my radar again um in that movie. That's he's worth checking out. But Katie Cassidy's been in like the TV DC universe things. Thomas Decker went on to do that in the um Terminator TV show. You know, a, so it had some people who were who were names or relatively names or were going to be names. So the casting was quite well done. It just didn't come together very well, did it? It had bits that were quite interesting about it, I thought. There was a bit where I think there was, there was one scene where one of the characters like bangs their head and is drifting in and out of consciousness. Yeah, and you have the Freddy being in and out of the uh, the real world and the fame. That was a nice sequence. We hadn't I hadn't seen that done in the other ones previously, where they were fading from reality and 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 fantasy. That was nice, but that's pretty much it. And and, and like I said before, is they they out and out made him a paedophile in this movie rather than just a child killer, and that. It, it works because they made him the right guy, this. Yeah. and not like well executed. It was just yeah, dark in an unpleasant way. You know? Yeah, it did. It, it all felt a bit grim, didn't it? And uh, yeah. uh, it, it, this definitely wasn't a crowd pleaser, to use uh, the phrase that we've been using. So, and, and I think most tellingly, there was no sequel, yeah. no franchise. No, exactly. Which was the same with a lot of those reboots, wasn't it? Yes. There weren't many that got sequels. I mean, Hills of Eyes, I think, that was sequelized. Yeah. Uh, I quite like the Hills of Eyes remake. I don't know if that's kind of blasphemy, but I thought... No, I, I, I like that one. I like that. Yeah. But, yeah. but then I, I don't I don't think that was one of Bayes, was it? No, so, it wasn't. Uh, no, it was yeah, just, yeah, just yeah which is why it's called. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're primed for another one, surely. Now we've got the stink of uh, of recasting Freddie once. We can get to, get to the next one now where someone can take it on without yeah. the fear of, uh, of of fans going, oh, you can't cast anyone but Robert England. Yeah. Well, we've already what, done what, it. What, what, what do we think about the idea of Freddie in the 2020s, though? You know, is, is, is it, is it a, a, a theme and an idea that, that's, that, that's not going to fly anymore? I don't know. I mean, could you do it? Could you even do it? I, I'm, I'm not sure you could without, without a lot of... Online protest. It's be fun. Hey guys, let's hear this. Freddie, instead of being a nightmare demon, he's a social media demon. He haunts Twitter. He, he kills kids via Instagram. I'd watch that. Uh, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although, what, what? Rather than rather than having Freddie doing that, what they need to do is bring back another Wes Craven character, um, uh, Horace Pinker from Shocker, mm-hmm. which wasn't a great movie. But which I think you could do a really good update of and have that figure who who sort of in, in 1989, he was sort of appearing in people's televisions and microwaves and things, you know. He'd be perfect for, for invading um, your, your, your laptop Darryl. or your phone, you know. Daryl, stop. 
Hollywood is listening. We don't, we don't want to give them bad ideas. Stop it. Cool. Okay, so that's the end of the Nightmare Elm Street franchise then. Um, we, 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 there's no sign of another reboot, reboot, but I'm surprised with the hits of Halloween doing so well last year. The, the Halloween Kills sequel doing really good business in the next one coming out this year. Scream's just been a big hit as well. I would be surprised if we don't get some sort of movement on a nightmare reboots in there. Never say never. It just feels like they've they've gone back to Halloween, it's been a big hit. They've gone back to Scream, it's been a big hit. They've gone back to Candyman, it's been a big hit. I think I, I think there's somebody in there going like, well, why don't we do Freddy again? Yeah, the last one was was bad, but it was Michael Bay, you know. We'll, we'll move on with it. We can find someone who's more interested in. There must be some young horror director that wants to tackle Freddy. So we might be saying, are you ready for Freddy in 2024? Which is an anniversary year of the first one. So there you go. It's in the bag. Yeah. Cool. Right. That's enough. Thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. We will be back again in another couple of weeks. In the meantime, do check out our Facebook page, uh, like us on Facebook, and please do send us an email to our email address, podcast at derbyquad.co.uk, if you've got any ideas for any subject matters you want us to tackle. Take care, and we'll see you soon. 